From Riverside Health System, this is the Healthy You Podcast, where we talk about a range of health-related topics focused on improving your physical and mental health. We chat with our providers, team members, patients, and caregivers to learn more about how to maintain a healthy lifestyle and improve overall physical and mental health. So let's dive into learn more about becoming a healthier you. So I'm Frankie Myers, Assistant Chief Nursing Officer uh, for Riverside Health System, and I am really excited today to have in our studio Dr. Diane Matella. She is an OBGYN with Riverside Partners in Women's Health, and today our episode is going to be talking about perimenopause and menopause, how your body changes and what you can do. So I'm really excited to have you, Dr. Matella. Good afternoon. I'm excited to be here. Great. Briefly, tell me a little bit about why you decided to pursue a career in OBGYN. So really, it was the variety that the specialty had to offer. Um, you know, OBGYN, you, you see women at all different stages of their life between adolescence to fertility bearing years, um, obviously pregnancy, perimenopause, menopause. We dabble in preventative medicine with women's well exams. We do procedures in the office and in the operating room. And I mean, if if the miracle of childbirth doesn't really in, I don't know what else would. So, I mean, with all those facets of the specialty, I mean, it was a, it was kind of a no brainer for me. Oh, great, great. I know that I, my OBGYN retired. Um, a few years back, I had such a great relationship with my OBGYN and she kept me on track with not only things around my OBGYN um, needs, but also just from a, uh, a disease prevention perspective, making sure you have your mammograms, making sure you have your colonoscopy, uh, a baseline um, EKG. So she really kept me on track with so many things and we had such a great relationship and I trusted her so much. So I just value that so much. So thank you for what you do in that space. It's very important that I think women have a good relationship with a gynecologist or an OBGYN because there's so much to navigate in every stage and every decade of a, of a female's life and things that a lot of women, I think, take for granted and think, oh, I'm supposed to feel like this because I'm in my 40s or I'm supposed to live like this because I'm in my 50s. I mean, I think that's kind of where the downfall of medicine has come, where we haven't encouraged women to seek help for these symptoms because, yes, it may be normal, but there are ways to help you feel better as you go through these, these stages of life. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about menopause, something that I know a lot about. <laughs> Just <laughs> from my own personal experience. <laughs> so menopause is a normal part of aging and that natural transition uh, for females. Um, talk a little bit about menopause and, and some of the things that may occur in the body um, and some of the mood changes that I know I have experienced and what, so, what women should expect. Yeah. So I, I think what happens a lot of times is perimenopause and menopause kind of get mixed up. Um, so let's go through the definitions just so we're on the same page. Um, so perimenopause is the transition or the prodrome before menopause. This is when women's hormone levels start to fluctuate in relationship to decreasing fertility and decreasing ovulation. 
So it's that fluctuation that occurs um, typically, believe it or not, starting after the age of 35. I think a lot of women think of perimenopause or menopause later in life, but um, you, we start to see these hormone fluxes as early as 35. Um, so when these hormone levels start to change, this is typically when women are the most symptomatic. You know, so I have women come in and they say, you know, I just don't feel the way I used to, or I have no libido, or my periods are, are heavier than they've ever been. You know, they start to notice these symptoms as early as 35, all through into their um, early and mid 40s. Okay. So the definition of menopause is the absence of these hormones in which you have ovulated your last egg. And because of that, the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone secretion that occur by the ovaries um, no longer occurs. Now there is some small amounts of hormone that are still secreted by the ovaries even after menopause, but it's less bioactive and um, minimal amount of hormone. So after that woman, woman ovulates her last egg, this is when your periods stop. And that the definition of menopause is going an entire year clinically without a menstrual cycle. Once she does that, she is officially in menopause. And believe it or not, symptoms can get better at that stage, although they can also still persist as if they were still in perimenopause. But the key factor here is that they're no longer having menstrual cycles. Okay. Okay. That's great information. I know for me, um, do you, it, it was really challenging. And I don't know that I knew I was actually going through perimenopause or menopause. Um, do, do you typically follow like whatever your family history is, like your mother? Is there some similarities in when they will occur as far as age? Or I've heard people say that sometimes based on when you start your cycles may be a sign when you may enter uh, perimenopause or menopause. Is yes. There yeah, there yeah, there's absolutely a link um, hereditary wise. A lot of women will follow their mother's trends as far as the age of menopause. Um, but there's also a lot of environmental factors that dictate when a woman will go through menopause. Um, smokers tend to go through menopause a little earlier. Um, so, you know, it, it definitely environment can play a role in when a woman will go through menopause, but there is definitely a connection there. A lot of women will follow their mother's trend. Okay. Okay. And I know for me, you know, as I was enduring this, I talked to my mother and I, you know, kind of processed doing need hormone therapy. And she was adamant because there's this mindset that that's associated with cancer. So would you talk a little bit about hormone replacement and um, some of the risk factors related to that? And I know that women are struggling with symptoms, but are afraid to, to use hormone replacement. I know I struggled with that myself. Sure. So hormone replacement therapy is currently indicated for severe hot flashes and night sweats. Um Back in the 80s, I mean, every woman was on hormone replacement therapy because back then the idea was that it was cardioprotective. Right. So every postmenopausal woman was was placed on hormone replacement therapy because of this um, and, 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 and to also alleviate their vasomotor symptoms. I think the big trial that everyone knows about, um, the WHI trial that came out in, in um, I believe it was 2002, 
um, was the big clinical trial that proved that this was incorrect, that um, putting women on hormone replacement therapy for primary and secondary prevention of uh, coronary heart disease um, is not effective. And if anything, it showed increased rates of heart attack, stroke, blood clots, breast cancer, dementia. And when that study came out, of course, it made national news and all these women were taken off their hormone replacement therapy um, because of this. Okay. The problem with that clinical trial was the population that that was utilized for this clinical trial. Um, these women, over thousands of women in this trial, were between ages of 50 and 79. Um, and about 73% of these women had never even been on hormone replacement therapy, had potentially even been out of menopause for over 10 years at this point. Okay. 67% of these women were greater than 60 years old. The average age of menopause is about 51, 52. Um, the, they tested women deemed safe from a cardiac perspective for the clinical trial, as long as they had a normal EKG. Um, and we all know that that's not the greatest screen for pre-existing um, coronary artery disease or um, cardiovascular disease. Some of these women were also already taking statins for high cholesterol, taking antihypertensives for high blood pressure. So it, it was a, a bit of a skewed population. I mean, they were giving hormone replacement therapy, estrogen and progesterone to women who have been in menopause for potentially decades, who also potentially already had pre-existing cardiovascular disease. So now looking back, I mean, many, many years later, they've taken the same data that they've accumulated from WHI and they've also looked at the demographics and have looked at the data for women between ages 50 and 59 that received the hormone replacement therapy. And these were women typically that transitioned into, into menopause within 10 years. They had no significant, significant cardiovascular risks. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that's a big difference. Um, and more newer clinical trials have, have showed the same thing that women have started on hormone replacement therapy within the within 10 years of menopause or even in the perimenopausal period could potentially have um, cardio cardiovascular uh, benefits, um, cardio protection. Um, it definitely shows decreased risk for dementia if started within that time frame. Of course, it still has the benefit of um, relief of vasomotor symptoms, and it still has the benefit of prevention of osteoporosis. Um, the breast cancer risk, depending on the trial, has been, you know, plus or minus um, synthetic versus um, bioidentical hormones have been, you know, uh, clinical trials have been going on comparing both of those. They're showing less risk, less risk with bioidentical um, hormones than with synthetic. So, but this is still data that, you know, needs to be uh, continually studied before we start making those recommendations. That is really great information. Thank you. Thank you. I know one of the symptoms that I know I struggle with and continue to struggle with is the weight, the mm. changes in weight, specifically belly. Yes. Belly adipose tissue. I'm going to use the, <laughs> the medical terminology for that. Um, will the hormone replacement help with some of that? I know there are things that we have to do as far as exercise and get a good regimen and yeah, and a healthy diet and lifestyle. But there was a time when I literally could eat whatever I wanted. Yeah, fairly active, but those days have have, have long. <laughs> so that that's I think every woman feels what you're feeling right now, especially women that are in their their menopause and perimenopausal states. So there's 
you know, metabolism is a, a big player in um, menopause. Um, and one of the biggest complaints women have as they make this transition. So, you know, there are three key hormones that we deal with as far as ovarian hormones, which also, um, these hormones also come from the adrenal gland, but estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all three of these hormones are secreted by the ovaries. They're also um, made by the adrenal glands. These are the primary hormones that drop in perimenopause, okay? okay. Um, with dropping, believe it or not, women need testosterone. Um, you know, there, there's a reason why men can lose weight really fast, okay? They have raging testosterone for most of their life. Women have peak testosterone levels typically in their adolescence and in their 20s. And that's why at that time you can eat whatever you want and not even gain a single pound. Okay. Testosterone levels will start to steadily decline in your late 20s and early 30s, exponentially decline in perimenopause and menopause. Um, that loss of testosterone is real. I mean, that really puts a hit on your metabolism, your ability, ability to maintain lean muscle mass. Um, it's also another reason why women have decreased libido. I mean, you lose your testosterone, you lose your libido. Um, and it, and it, it contributes, all of that contributes to weight gain, you know, your inability to maintain muscle mass, unless you're doing something proactive about it. Um, Estrogen also, you know, the declining estrogen levels also play a role in the meta in the decreased metabolism too. So when all these hormones, I mean, these are just three of many hormones in the body, but they all are inter interdependent on each other. Um, they will affect your overall metabolism, including growth hormone, insulin. So as we go through menopause, we become uh, less insulin sensitive and more insulin resistant. Okay. We're not able to mobilize and utilize glucose as efficiently. So if you're not changing your diet and you're eating the same amount of carbohydrates you did in your 30s, all that sugar that used to be um, mobilized and utilized for energy tends to get stored. And that's where this abdominal fat comes in. You know, women are trying to eat the way they did in their 30s, but the problem is their metabolism is not letting them do that. And instead of utilizing those blood sugars, they're getting stored straight to fat. So, so Dr. Cardell, are you telling me I can't blame it all? <laughs> on age it, I, it it is related to stuff that i'm putting in my mouth well it, it, it's related to age 100 <laughs> percent. Um, but what happens is what you used to do in your 20s and 30s is no longer going to work for you in your 40s and 50s okay. and that's the burden of of women is that we have to evolve with our changing hormones and if you don't evolve and change with that you're going to see repercussions and usually they're not good ones um, such as weight gain, increased risk for diabetes, increased risk for coronary um, artery disease, cardiovascular disease, dementia. I mean, these are all things that are linked to menopause and the aging process for women. Um, so if you're not making those lifestyle changes, those dietary changes, um, you are going to have the burden of those um, comorbidities. Okay, good, good information. Another problem area, as I hear women talk about, is hair growth, mm -hmm. uh, specifically chin and lip. Um, is that all related to the shift in the hormones as well? It can be. A lot of it is also genetics. Um, you know, so if you have a um, a mother or you know sister that you know have either thinning hair, age-related, you know, thinning of the hair, age-related hair growth. Some of that can be genetics. Um, thinning hair, absolutely. I mean, our estrogen is what gives us their, you know, beautiful, healthy hair. So when you lose that estrogen, you will notice that you, you know, you, you lose the luster and the locks. 
Okay. Um, so some of it is hormone, but some of it is also genetics. Of course, there's also, also pathologic causes that need to be ruled out. But I mean, it is, you know, potentially can be part of the menopausal uh, transition too. Okay. Are there some, you know, and I know you can't really prescribe on this podcast, but as we age, are there some specific vitamins that we should be mindful of mm -hmm. um, that we may become deficient of? Um, one that I hear about all the time is your vitamin D. Yes. Can you so vitamin D is so important. I mean, the reality is, is um, most of us are vitamin D deficient. I mean, it, you just can't get enough of it, enough of it in the diet. Um, there's just not enough supplementation going on in the diet for it. We're not out in the sun or we shouldn't be out in the sun all day long because our, our body can make vitamin D. It is one of those vitamins that can be synthesized internally in the body. Um, the problem is, is we're not out in the sun enough to, and we shouldn't be. Um, vitamin D is a vitamin, but it actually functions as a precursor for a lot of hormones. So when you're vitamin D deficient, it can also affect hormone production. So it's so important that women have um, normal or optimal vitamin D levels and optimal really for a woman is going to be greater than 50 to 60, you know, normal is greater than 30, but ideally women should have it higher. Um, 50 to 60 should be the goal of uh, above that range. Um, and then of course for bone health, I mean, we all know that vitamin D um, dietary calcium, I, I tend to promote over supplemental calcium, but you know, calcium and vitamin D is so important for bone health as women make that transition into menopause because that's when bone deterioration will occur due to declining estrogen levels. Okay. Um, I think fish oil is fantastic. Um, more and more data is supporting fish oil for postmenopausal women. You know, the brain fog is real. Okay. When you walk really in the room and you can't remember why you're you were there or why you even stepped into that room. I mean, that is a true symptom of perimenopause and menopause. And once again, it's related to declining estrogen and progesterone levels because we have receptors in the brain. So when those levels decline, cognitively we decline. Uh, this also is what puts us at increased risk for, for dementia. You know, Alzheimer's tends to be more common in females. Um, so um, menopause is considered a state of low-grade chronic inflammation. So fish oil is anti-inflammatory. So fish oil, um, you know, one to two grams of DHA, EPA, preferably organic, um, you know, um, seafood fish um, is ideal, I think, for every postmenopausal woman. That's some really good information. Thank you. Um, I have my vitamins in my purse. Hmm. I haven't taken, but you have inspired me just by really understanding the impact that they have on some of the symptoms that I'm having. I'm going to do better about taking my vitamins. And, we should all be on some kind of yeah, yeah, <laughs> micronutrition, extremely important in menopause. We need all the help we can get, right? So um, those supplements are very important because diet, I mean, unless we all eat a perfect diet, which, you know, none of us do, um, the the micronutrition and the supplementation is very important. Vitamin C is another excellent anti-inflammatory, um, great for immune system, because once again, in menopause, we see um, decreased immune response, lower T cells, lower B cells. So boost up your vitamin C to help that immune system stay strong. Okay. Okay. Very, very good. Um, are there any other therapies um, available to manage uh, menopause or perimenopause that we haven't discussed, Dr. Medella? So, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for hormone replacement therapy for severe hot flashes, night sweats. 
and you get the extra benefits of obviously protection against osteoporosis. But the reality is lifestyle matters. And when you're going through perimenopause, if you can figure out how to navigate through your diet, your exercise, your sleep, it all will come together easier when you transition into menopause. So what you eat matters, when you eat matters. You know, um, there's a lot of data right now out on time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting. Um, and that's basically when you either have 12, 14 or 16 hour windows of fasting, and then you have a, a smaller window for eating. Okay. Um, you know, on a cellular level, this induces um, what we call autophagy, where your body actually heals and cleans out um, cancer cells and cells that your body no longer needs. Um, it increases insulin resistance, which most perimenopausal and menopausal women start to have problems with. So, you know, when you eat, what you eat matters, you know, whole foods um, with high nutrient density. I mean, staying away from processed foods, women in perimenopause and menopause have to be careful with their carbohydrates because once again, you know, we're impaired with glucose metabol metabolism um, and exercise. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's hard to incorporate. We all know we have to do it, but you should do it. Um, as we go through perimenopause and menopause, we lose our muscle mass. Muscle mass is what gives you metabolism. You have to maintain that muscle mass in order to stay vital, in order to keep your metabolism either where you want it at or higher. I mean, it's so important. I mean, your muscles play a huge role in how you age and whether or not you're going to age gracefully through menopause or not. So I think women tend to focus more on the cardio, which cardio is great, but the perimenopause and menopausal women really need to focus on their, their uh, strength training and, and maintaining and rebuilding their muscle. All right. That's, that's, that's good. Any quick tips to help with the carbohydrate piece <laughs> that I know that is a challenge for me. You hit yeah. some key things that I know are, are an issue timing of eating. You know, it's almost like for me at after about seven 30 at eight o'clock at night, you really want to start snacking. Um, doesn't really give you much time before you go to bed and are there some quick tips to help with kind of managing and just begin looking at the yeah. amount of carbs you're taking? And we always talk about calories, right? But you know, I know for me, I had to educate myself on reading labels, and so I don't. Think oh yeah, absolutely. Talk much about the carbohydrate intake. Yeah. So carbs aren't the enemy. I mean, I don't want everyone to stop. You know, you know, not everyone should. And this is the thing. Every woman is so unique and bio-individual. So what works for you may not work for me. And what works for someone else may not work for, you know, her girlfriend. So it's really figuring out what your body responds to and what your body doesn't do well with or, you know, um, gains weight with and stuff like that. But the thing with carbohydrates, we all love carbohydrates because they the simple sugars stimulate our dopamine receptors. There was a study that um, where these scientists put cocaine in one center and sugar in the other center. And every time the rat went to it, they would get shocked. These rats went to the sugar over and over and over, over the cocaine. That tells you how powerful sugar is. Then, it is right? so powerful. It, it is. It's a drug. It's almost worse than any other drug out there because of the dependency 
the comorbidities that are associated with it. Um, so it's retraining the brain, right? So things that are going to keep you full are fiber, you know, so think mainly, you know, fresh vegetables, um, complex carbohydrates, whole grains, and protein. It takes longer for your body to digest protein and fiber than it does sugar. Um, so, you know, kind of making your meals a little bulkier in those macronutrients, the protein and the fiber, less in carbohydrates, but your body still needs carbohydrates. But think more complex carbohydrates. That way it takes longer for the body to break down and digest and you're feeling less hungry. People, I think, eat too much fruit because they think it's healthy. The problem is fruit is a simple sugar, simple carbohydrate with fiber. So even though you get the fiber, you're still getting that simple sugar. So you just got to be careful with fruit. I mean, you can have, you know, an occasional fruit, but don't load up on it because it's not as healthy as you think it is. Um, So really kind of changing your macronutrient, um, you know, leaning more towards protein and fiber. That way you're not hungry because if you consume too much sugar and less protein, less fiber, you're going to be hungry you know, in, in the next couple hours. And that's that overeating. Correct. That comes in. Yes. Uh, that, that's, that's a good way to think about it. Okay. And, and women are creatures of comfort. You know, they, they, um, they like to emotionally eat. So, you know, whether that be out of boredom, whether that be out of depression, um, you have to figure out why you're eating what you're eating and try to turn that around, you know? So instead of eating because you're bored, go out and take a walk, you know? I mean, these are little things that I think people turn into habits and they don't realize it. Um, And they just need to make the healthier choice. And it's not always easy, but it's something that you need to be aware of so that you you can make the necessary changes once you figure out that that's what you're doing. That's great information. From a timing perspective, you know, some people say, hey, it's better to have that carb up in the day because then you're more active than at, than at night. Any tips around that or? I think it's based on your activity. I mean, so if you're doing, if you're exercising or doing high interval training in the morning, you absolutely need to give yourself some carbohydrate. I mean, you you know, you're, you're, you're depriving yourself if you're not because your body needs those extra calories because you burn those extra calories. The problem is a lot of people overdo it. I worked out, so I'm going to go, you know, give myself a milkshake, you know, negating your exercise, the benefits of the exercise routine you just finished. So, right. um, you know, I can speak for myself because I'm, I'm, I know my body and I know what my body needs. Every woman's different. And that's the thing. I think women want an, an a quick fix, you know, but the, the the reality is, is that, you know, we aren't square boxes. We're, you know, hexagons and, you know, pentagons right. and everybody's um, roadmap is different, right? Everybody's exactly. Every individual, every woman is a bio individual has different needs, um, different physical, physiologic, emotional, spiritual the goal for every woman is to figure out your own body. And once you kind of tune inward and figure out what works for your body, you can start to navigate through what you need and what you don't need um, to make you feel your optimal health. Okay. Dr. Madela, you have shared some great information. I am so passionate about women's health and health promotion and disease prevention. And I can just glean that and feel that from you. So thank you so much for what you do. I definitely want to have you back on the podcast again. I think there's more that we can continue to talk about. 
and keep things top of mind as it relates to women health and um, menopause and perimenopause and then other things that are specifically related to women's health. Oh, thank you so much. I, I think this is a, you know, a very important topic that um, a lot of women don't want to talk about or are scared to talk about, but we need to talk about it because, you know, when women are afraid or, or they don't want to do anything to change, this is when, you know, unfortunately, you know, your health goes the, the wrong direction. So, absolutely. absolutely. And next time, maybe we can talk on another subject that is dear to me. I, I had a very um, trying time getting pregnant. I had a history of fibroids and incompetent cervix. And so it yeah. was a tumultuous journey, but I do have two um, adult children. So um, just want to continue to educate women to, to take care of those things early. Yeah. Um, I waited late. And so that, that can cause a lot of problems. Yeah. Women tend to put themselves last, you know, for everything because you're too busy taking care of everybody else. Absolutely. Um, but the reality is, is you can't pour from the you can't pour from the pot if the pot is empty. Absolutely. You should always consider yourself the first priority and, and that way you have more to give to everybody else around you. Unfortunately, sometimes that, that takes getting some seasoning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get up in age sometimes before we realize that. Yeah. So I'm really glad that we're talking about that. If yeah. someone wants to connect with you or maybe schedule an appointment, can you give them information on how they can contact you and the practice? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so actually I am I am an OBGYN, but I will be stopping obstetrics at the end of the month. Oh, um, no. I'm still doing outpatient GYN, though, um, and I'm really trying to... Uh, to make a focus of my practice in perimenopause and menopausal health, um, hormone health, metabolism, metabolic health in the perimenopausal menopausal woman. So I am open arms to these women. I want you guys to come in. I want to sit down and talk. Um, I'm with Partners in Women's Health on the Oyster Point location at the Oyster Point location. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I am accepting new patients. Eventually I will have a clinic day specifically for perimenopause and menopausal women. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... Um, That's great. Will you yeah. please send me the information because I am going to schedule an appointment. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the one at a meeting that always keeps a piece of paper close by um, and I blamed it on the vent. So I think it's time <laughs> I get formally evaluated for these hot flashes. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd be more than happy to help you. All right. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful. All right. Thank you, Frankie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy You. We're so glad you were able to join us today and learn more about this topic. If you would like to explore more, go to RiversideOnline.com.